thanks, Hannah. I appreciate that uh, very uh, raw glimpse into the fact that churches, a lot of times, that churches messed up. Um, you know it because you probably faced it. I know it because I'm messed up and I'm part of the church. And so, um, but at the same time, uh, the beauty and the power of the church and the word of God to bring healing is powerful as well. And so, uh, if you've been hurt by church in any way, um, our church or any church, um, I am so deeply sorry. Um, that was not reflective of the beauty of, of Christ. And I, I do hope and pray that uh, if you're here today and you're like, man, I just, uh, one more chance for the church, um, I hope that we can get it right, at least today, and that you can uh, give us another chance. We have been talking here about um, uh, the promises of God and how uh, when we put our faith in Jesus, that God gives us all kinds of promises. We looked at God's promise to be a father, God's promise to give us strength, all kinds of promises. Today, we're going to look at a, a, a promise that's huge. It's massive. And it's God's promise that he says, I will meet all of your needs according to your my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Right? There's a promise that God gives that says, whatever your needs are as a child of God, I, God, will meet your needs according to my glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's a huge, huge promise. We give uh, promises as, as parents, or parents give promises to children all the time. Uh, some of the things that we say to our kids is, I will always love you. They say, promise? We promise you. Right? No matter what happens, we'll always love you. We'll always be there for you. We'll always be proud to be your parents. These are unconditional Promises. No matter what happens, we will fulfill that promise until the day we die. That's the promise we've made. There's no conditions, no strings attached. Even if by some stroke of misfortune, they become uh, serial killers, we will still love them. And we will still cherish the role as being their parents. There are also promises that we make that, however, are not unconditional. They come with conditions. A few weeks ago, I told my son, Elijah, I said, hey, listen, it's time to do a, a father-son uh, date. And so, Elijah, after school today, if you do a good job at school, if you make good choices, then you and I, we're going to go to Jeremiah's uh, and get whatever you want to get. I promise that this will be what happens as long as you make good choices. I'm going to ask your teacher after school. And he said, okay. And he was like excited about that. So school is done. I go to pick up Elijah from class, and I ask his teacher, Miss Williams, said, how is Elijah today? He said, Elijah was great. He was good. He was a really good helper. He was kind. He answered questions. He raised his hand. It was a good day for Elijah. And so Elijah was smiling. He was very happy. I said, Elijah, you did a great job. Daddy promised that if you did well today, we're going to go to Jeremiah's, and you're going to get whatever you want. And he was very excited about that. But think about if it happened a different way. I get to Elijah's school and I say, hey, Miss Williams, how's Elijah today? And she's like, shakes her head a little bit. And she's like, well, it wasn't the best day. You know, today, Elijah, you know, pushed the kid down the slide. He tried to eat the goldfish or whatever it was. And uh, Elijah didn't have the best day. And so I say to Elijah, hey, buddy, uh, I'm sorry, but we're not going to go to Jeremiah's today. He gets really upset. It's like, daddy, you promised me. No, daddy, you promised me. That's not good. Daddy, you're mean. You're wrong. You promised we would go to Jeremiah's. Why aren't we going to Jeremiah? Daddy is bad. 
Why? Did I make a promise that I would take him to Jeremiah's? I did. I did make a promise. Was I unfaithful to that promise? I don't think I was because that promise came with certain conditions. A lot of times we get confused because we take God's promises, some of which are conditional, and we consider them to be unconditional promises so that when God does not fulfill the covenant promise that he made because of our lack, we get upset at God instead of looking at ourselves and realizing that we didn't fulfill our end of the promise. So in this amazing promise that God gives, that I will meet all of your needs, there's a condition attached. And so I want to look in this promise, Philippians chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Uh, I want to look at the context of this promise in order that we can understand what it is that he really means so that we don't think God has failed us when it seems like the promise is not being brought to fulfillment. <coughs> Excuse me, Philippians uh, chapter 4. <coughs> We're going to read verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 19. And this is God's word. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. The letter to the Philippians is basically a thank you letter that the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. So what happened 10 years earlier, Paul had started a church in Philippi. Okay, so he started this church in Philippi, but there were some people in Philippi that didn't want this church to be started. And so when Paul and his traveling companion Silas were trying to start the church, there were people who falsely accused them of wrongdoing. They beat them and they threw them into prison. And so Paul and Silas, beaten, hurt, bloodied, were sitting in jail. God provides this miraculous earthquake, opens the prison doors. The people in Philippi realize, holy cow, God is with them. And the authorities of the city escort Paul and Silas out of the city. And from that point, 10 years later, they hadn't heard from or seen Paul or then seen Paul in the 10 years after. So they understood that for us to be a church, say somebody starts your church, our church, 10 years earlier, they go, but the only way the church can start is if he's beaten and he's jailed and he's falsely accused, but that was the cost in order to bring Jesus into your city. And so that's Paul. So 10 years later, they find out that Paul is in jail. He's attached to a Roman guard. He's not being treated well. He's not having three square meals a day. He's in need. 
and he's struggling. And so the Philippians get wind of this and they say, man, we've got to do something for Paul. We've got to do something for this man that started our church. And so they send this guy Epaphroditus. They send all of this money, supplies, food, all these stuff. And they send him on a 300-mile journey. Right, 300 miles from Philippi to Rome where Paul is. And in Philippians 2, it says Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died. Bringing this food and the supplies and this money to him in prison. And so as he gets this, he writes this letter back to the Philippians. He sends it to Epaphroditus and says, go back your 300 miles. Be blessed. Going to pray for your well-being. I hope you make it safely. He gets back safely to the church in Philippi, and they're reading this letter. And it's basically this huge thank you note that Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, thank you for sending this man who risked his life in order that you could care for my needs. And as he sends that letter back to the people of Philippi, his heart is so filled with gratitude because he knows that the Philippian church is the poorest church that he knows. And so as he writes this letter inspired by God at the end of this passage that we read, he says, here's the deal, guys. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And he sends that back as a promise from God to his people. So two things we want to look at. We're going to look first quickly at the promise and then second at the conditions of the promise. The first thing, the promise, God promise, God promises, God's promise is that he will give you whatever you need when you need it. He'll give you what you need when you need it. This is a great promise but what it's not saying, Paul is not this health and wealth prosperity gospel preacher. It's not actually a gospel at all. He's not saying whatever you want. If you're a Christian, you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. That's not what he's saying, despite what it may sound like. Because here's Paul writing this. He's not writing it uh, from his uh, laptop computer in his million-dollar jet that the church has funded for him. He's not. He's writing as he's languishing in a Roman prison cell, longing to eat a meal. Hey, he's not saying, hey, if you're a child of God, whatever you want, God's going to give to you. That's not what he's saying. What he's also not saying is, here, here's a blank check. Whatever you want, you ask God, and as long as Jesus is rich enough to provide that for you, he will give it to you. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that he will give you what you need when you need it. Not what you want when you want it or what you need when you want it. He's saying he's going to give you what you need when you need it. And here's the problem. The problem comes because we don't fully understand what it is that we actually need. You know who doesn't understand what they need? Children don't understand what they actually need. Our two-year-old Elise doesn't understand what she actually needs. What she thinks she needs are things that she really actually only wants. At home, so this is our baby. She has six baby dolls at home. So she's a baby who loves babies. She's two. 
Each of these babies has a name. But here's, here's the thing. When she has her six baby dolls, she doesn't want to play with like four of them or five. She wants to play with all six of them at the same time. And so if they're in the living room and she wants to play in the bedroom, she has to carry all six of them. And so as she's walking, she drops a couple of them on her head. And I fear for my grandchildren in this way. But here she is. She's carrying her baby dolls of the six She only really likes two of them. There's a baby named Baby Grace, maybe named after Baby Grace here, and a baby named Baby Harper that one of her aunties bought for her. She loves these two, Baby Grace, Baby Harper. She's got four other dolls that she doesn't care about. She doesn't love. The only reason I think she has them is because the other two need friends, right? She's very much into playing favorites. Again, I fear for my grandchildren in this way. One of them is named Baby Elsa. Right, because she is, that's the name given to her by Disney, Baby Elsa. Another one is named Baby Lily. For whatever reason, it, it looks very scary-looking doll, and maybe that's not why she doesn't look like her very much. There's another one, for whatever reason, called Baby Kokiri. Kokiri means elephant. Uh, just a regular baby doll that she decided to name Baby Kokiri. And then there's a last one. The last one is this baby whose arm is falling off, and she doesn't have any clothes on. And so on many occasions, I'm trying to teach her modesty. I say, Elise, this baby needs clothes. Right? She's cold, and it's, it's embarrassing for her. She needs clothes. You need to put clothes on her. And she says, no, she doesn't wear clothes. This baby doesn't wear clothes. I say, why not? Do you know what this baby's name is? She said, this baby's name is Baby Naked. <laughs> baby Naked is the name of this baby. Therefore, she doesn't wear clothes. She has six baby dolls all of which she says she needs. She only loves two of them. So here, a couple weeks back, maybe three weeks ago, uh, our fa- I, I, I was here at church, and it was a Friday night, and I said, Olive, why don't we bring our family out? We're going to go eat at Winter Garden Village. We'll eat dinner. And she said, okay, I'm going to go to Target first. They're with one of the, their aunties, and they're hanging out. And uh, I, get a, I get a distress call from Olivia. She's like, I need backup ASAP. Stat. Come over, meet me at Target aisle, blah, 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 blah. I said, Roger, over now. And so I hung up, and I get there, and, you know, it's just a normal day. Uh, uh, but Elise is carrying this baby doll, baby doll around, carrying it around Target. And I said, what's going on? And Elise says, I need this baby. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you need it? She said, I need this baby to take home. I said, what did Mommy say? So Mommy said, no. I said, Elise, then you cannot have this, but maybe we'll buy this for your birthday. And she's like, Okay. I want this for my birthday. I said, okay, let's go put it back. And she said, no, I'm not going to put it back. I said, Elise, we're going to get this, but not today. We're going to get this for your birthday. And she's like, no, no, no. And she's like throwing this fit in the middle of the toy aisle at Target. I said, no, I need this baby. I need this baby. Like, I need this baby. And, and she, she really needs it. I said, Elise, we are going to buy it for you, but you don't need it. You have six babies at home. You don't even like four of them. I didn't say that, but I'm... <laughs> revisionist history you you only like two you don't really need all of these i need this baby i said okay we're gonna at least we're gonna buy it for you for your birthday and here's what she said she said that my birthday is tomorrow that's what she said i said elise listen we're gonna walk to the aisle and put this back because you think you need it but your problem is you cannot distinguish between your wants and your needs 
Hey, do you understand this? You say you want this, but you don't re- You say you need this, but you don't really need it. Are you going to die if you don't have this? He said, you know what? I suppose you're right, Dad. <laughs> said, you don't really. So there's a difference. Wanting something means that you, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not essential to your life, to your well-being, but you think that you, you want it because your heart desires it. Said, do you understand what I'm saying? She put her head down. She's like, you're right. Father, you're always right. So will you walk with me to put this away? No, she didn't say that. She said, no, I need this. I need it. I need it right now. Because that's what kids do. That's what children do. And in a lot of sense, it shows us the spiritual maturity that we have when it comes to what we ask of God. Because grown-ups who are mature are able to distinguish between the things that I want and the things that I actually need. In fact, even as grown-ups, this is a little bit hard, isn't it? Hey, uh, single person, you want to get married, right? What kind of person do you need? Well, you know, I'm praying about the things that I need. I've got my list. What's on your list? Well, I need someone. They got to be at least five foot tall. They got to be at least 120 pounds. They got to be at least, uh, he's got to have at least $100,000. He's got to have a nice job. He's got to drive a nice car. Oh, and he's got to love Jesus and, and basically anything else after that. We laugh and laugh and laugh. You're kidding, right? Except for the Christian part. No, I really need those things. If we really need those things, then herein, again, we see an inability to distinguish between our wants and our needs. And what Paul is saying, hey, the promise is not that God's going to give you whatever you want when you want it. He's not even going to give you what you need when you want it. The promise of God is he who knows much more than we do what we actually need. He's going to give us what we need when we need it. And he's so absolutely convinced about it that he says in verse 19, he says, he doesn't say, and God will meet. He says, and my God will meet all your needs. I just saw this, man. I'm sitting here in prison and through Epaphroditus, I saw that my God is able to do these things. I've seen this over and over again. That's what Paul is saying. I've seen God be faithful. In fact, I've seen God. This is the same God. You know who my God, here's what he's saying. You know who my God is? He's the God who led Israel out of slavery and provided Food from heaven. That's my God. He's able to meet your needs. Just as he did for me, just as he did for Israel. He's able to, if he can make food fall down from heaven, he can, he can provide for all of your needs, can't he? Man, he, you know who my God is? He's the God who took a little shepherd boy who didn't know how to fight and used him to lead my people to freedom from enslavement to the Philistines. See, that's my God. You know who my God is? He's the God who just said, walk around the walls of Jericho and you will take this promised land. So you don't need to fight. You don't need to do all these things. All you need to do is obey me and trust me. He's saying, that's my God. And he's able to meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches. Don't you believe that to be true? Is that your God? 
say, this is my God. This is my God. And time and time again, he's proven himself to be true. This is the promise. He's not going to give you what you want when you want it, but he's going to give you what you need when you need it. And in the context that he's talking about, yeah, he'll give you strength. He'll give you endurance to make it through those difficult moments. He'll give you the courage you need to face the giants in your life. But in the context, he's talking about you've got material, physical, even financial needs. Again, he's not saying that every child of God is going to be wealthy and healthy. But what he is saying is, listen, here's the promise. Your needs will be taken care of. But comes with a condition. Here's the second thing that we see here. The promise is for those who are faithful with what you already have. Faithful with what you already have. God doesn't give this blanket promise to everybody on earth. Hey, I'm going to give you whatever you need. Nor does he even make this a blanket promise to his children. That kids, hey, if you're mine, I'm going to provide everything that you need. It's not, he's not saying that. He's saying there is a condition attached just as there is a condition attached to Elijah getting his promise of Jeremiah fulfilled. There's a condition and the condition is he will meet your needs as you are faithful with what God has already given to you. You understand Paul is writing to the Philippian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says the church in Philippi was poor. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he's challenging them. He's saying, listen, y'all, y'all need to up your game because the Philippian church has given everything out of their poverty. In fact, what Paul says when he describes the Philippian church, he says, I felt like for me to receive their gift, I was robbing them. That's how little they had. Do you see this? The Philippian church didn't have much, but they saw a need in the kingdom. And they said, we're going to give of ourselves, even though we don't have much to give. And it's to that group of people that Paul says, listen, here it is. You met my need. Okay, so he, he says here in, in verse, uh, what is this? Verse 15, in the matter of giving and receiving. So literally, if you read this technical term, this is an accounting term, debits and credits. In the matter of giving and receiving, it was you only who were giving credit to my account. So here's what he's saying. As you gave, Philippian church, here's what happens. You gave, therefore you created a deficit in your account, right? You met my need, therefore now you have a need. According to the ledger, I ought to meet your need in order for the books to be balanced. It's like, I don't need to do that because my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. He's saying, listen, anytime you give, Anytime you give, you create for yourself a deficit saying God will provide for your needs. That's what he's saying. The matter of giving, he's saying it's simple accounting. As you give, God is going to take care of your needs. Again, not what you want when you want it, but what you need when you need it, when you are faithful with what God has already given to you. See, a lot of us are saying, you know what? I'll, I'll do this stuff, I'll be generous, I'll tithe, I'll do whatever, whatever, when it gets to that point in my life when I'm able to do that. What the Philippians are showing us is that, no, 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 there's no better time to begin than now. 
And maybe for, for, for some of us, if we're up to our eyeballs in debt, it may not be we can't give the 15% or the 10% that we want to give, but we want to start in some way. And we start in some way. This is not just, it's not just what he says to the Philippians, but you see this throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3, 9, he says, if you honor the Lord with your first fruit, then God will fill your barns to overflowing and your vats will be full of wine. This is in Proverbs 19, 17, he who gives to the poor will be repaid by the Lord. See this throughout 2 Corinthians 9, 6, you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, but you sow generously, then you will reap generously. And probably the, Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given back to you. The most famous that I can think of where this has been time and time again, Olivia and I have been put, we've put this, I've put this to the test since I was a, a 12th grader in my first part-time job. Malachi chapter three, it says, God says, test me in this. The only place in scripture, in fact, everywhere else in scripture, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God says in one place, test me in this. Okay, try me, check me, see if I'm faithful to this. Here's what he says. Bring your tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open up the doors and bless you. For since I was 17 years old, so 24 years of my life, I've been doing this. And God has never, ever, ever, ever not come through on this promise in my life. God says, start where you are. Start wherever you are and seek to honor God with your finances. Here's the here's way it happened. Here's the way it happened with the tithe in those days. So people would bring the first uh, 10% of their grain and they'd bring it into the storehouse, which is in the temple. And from that storehouse, the priests who minister in the house of the Lord would get their fill. This is what they would eat. If the people of God brought a tithe, then the priests would eat and the priests would be able to do their spiritual and religious duties for the people of God. If the people of God did not bring in their tithe, then the priests did not have food to eat. So we, the, they would have to go and harvest into the fields, neglecting the spiritual duties of the nation, and the nation would then crumble into spiritual decay. So what Malachi, what the tithing principle, what Paul is saying is as you give, you will be blessed in return. You bring your tithe, your spiritual life is going to be taken care of. There's a positive correlation to when we give, we will be blessed. But on the other hand, he says, but if you fail to give and the priests have to go to work and they neglect the temple, then there are consequences in your spiritual life. That's what he's saying. He doesn't say this to, to make us afraid, but he's just saying as a matter of fact. That's why he says, I'm so glad that you gave. I started your church 10 years ago. I was beaten for the sake of your church, and I love your church. And yet I'm so thankful that you gave, even in the midst of your sacrifice. Why? He says, not because I needed this gift, but because it's being credited to your account. And because it's doing that, that's why I'm so glad that it's been received in the bank of heaven. And some of us are waiting to give until that right time. But what God is looking for is for people who are faithful with what they already have. He says, if you're faithful with a little, then I'll give you more so that you can be faithful with that. When I was uh, about six years old, 
Uh, my brother was nine. We lived in Herndon, Virginia, little, uh, little tiny little town, tiny little town. And there'd be times where my mom would be doing something and she would say, hey, I need some, uh, some bread from the grocery store. And so my brother would say, hey, we'll ride our bikes. A mile and a half to get to A&P. That was the name of the store, the grocery store in town. And so she would give us $20 and my brother and I would ride our bikes a mile and a half. And he would be like taken off and I'd be like, young, wait for me, older brother, wait for me, wait for me, wait for me. And it was like little run to the kid trying to pedal my bicycle. He'd wait for me and he would stop and he would wait and he would catch up. And so it would take us like forever to get there. But mom would give us $20 to go buy bread and go buy, you know, something else. And then she would say, you can have ice cream for yourself. And so we'd go and my brother would be like exploring all these new roads. And I'd be scared. I'm like, that's not the way to go. Mom's going to get mad. I was like the dutiful one. And he was like the, the maverick. But we'd get to A&P and then we'd get the bread and we'd get the stuff. We'd hang it on our handlebars and then we'd ride back. And then we'd report back and say, Mom, we got our ice cream. Here's your stuff and here's your change. We'd do this. It was a lot of fun. But what if one time we went out and we came back and there's ice cream all over our clothes and it's like multicolored, so we've obviously eaten several different ice cream bars. Come back and mom's like, where's the bread? And we're like, oh, you didn't give us enough money for it. Like, what do you mean? $20? $20 should be enough. No, uh, uh, after getting the stuff that we needed, there was, there was nothing left. So maybe we need $40. Like, I don't think you need $40. Here's $20. Go back and get the bread because I know how much bread costs. And so we go back. And then we come back, we're like, yep, mom, we told you it wasn't enough. We need more money. Give us more money because we've got ice cream all over our clothes. We didn't get the bread that you wanted because we didn't have enough money. At a certain point, maybe after like three or four times, she would say, you know what, guys, thanks for your help. I'm going to ask dad to go and get it with his car. And then he'll bring me back the bread that I need. Why? Because she's not going to keep on giving us stuff to steward if we're not being faithful with what she's given to us. Here, some of us are saying, God, we need more. We need more. We need more. But the question is, why would God give us more if we're not faithful with what we already have? Maybe instead of asking God for more, we need to pray, Lord, help me to be a faithful steward to understand the difference between what I want and what I need. Because if I focused on the things that I needed and less on the things that I wanted, maybe then my heart would be freed up in order that I could be more generous to the causes that I see around me. God is saying, here, I'm going to, and if you do this, listen, I promise you, I'm going to meet all of your needs when you need it. I'm not going to fail you. You're not going to go poor by being generous. Think, take a step of faith. Take a risk of faith. Will you believe this? And some of us, one of my friends did this at his church in Houston. He said, first 90 days of the year, let's go on a tithing challenge. Let's give our 10% to God. And if at the end of 90 days, your finances suffer or they are the same, then you go back to giving your old way of giving. But if God doesn't bless the socks off of you and take care of your needs, then keep on going and keep on trusting and keep on trying. Wouldn't that be cool if we did something like that? Like we allowed God to meet us where it really affects our lives. Because here's what he's saying. He says, um, in verse 17, I'm not looking for a gift. I'm looking for what may be credited. Okay? Listen to this language of banking. Credited to your account. I've received full payment. I am amply supplied now that I have received. All five of these are banking terms. And then in verse 
18, he shifts the focus to talk about they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What language is that? It's the language of worship. So he's saying, and I've received all of these things. He's saying the deposit has been received and here's your receipt. And as you take the receipt, verse 18, the second half tells us, where is this bank? Hey, this bank is in heaven. And heaven has recorded your offering. And he will not fail to meet your needs. Here's what he's saying. When you give, whenever you give to someone in need, whenever you give to church, whenever you give to the kingdom, it's not first and foremost a transaction between you and the person, between you and God. He's saying you are worshiping God with your finances. And when you do that, it's an aroma that's pleasing to God and God will not fail to provide for your needs as you walk in trust and faithfulness to him. What if we, what if we did this, guys? What if we took God at his word? We really believed that when God said, test me in this, that he really means test me in this. We really believe that God is able in his... Now, he doesn't just say, uh, my God will meet all your needs through his or with his riches in Christ Jesus, but according to his riches, that there will be a blessing commensurate to the riches of God in Christ. And what if we believe this to be true? First of all, we do so much more for the sake of the kingdom but also God would give us so much more with which we can open up our hands to be free to give to other people. Man, this is powerful stuff. I said 24 years and God has not never, ever let us down. This is, man, God has been so good. And when Paul writes about this, he doesn't say, all right, let's do this like rote 10%, cut it out, write a check and all this stuff. He doesn't say just like, hey, you know what? You got you to obey the speed limit, this grudging obedience. The way that he presses us to give, according to 2 Corinthians, he highlights the beauty of Jesus. And he says, there was this one Jesus who, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor so that in him the poor might say, I am rich in him. That because of Jesus and everything that he promised to us, let now the poor say, I am rich in him. Let the weak say, I'm strong in him because of what God has given to me, because of what Jesus has given to me. I can be faithful and I can honor God with my life, with my money, with my finances. I can worship him with my offering. What if we did that? What would that look like? My, one of my friends is a pastor at a church in Northern California, and one, this is a story of one of his church members. He's since left that church, but uh, the, the, the current uh, pastor at his church uh, shared the story about a couple, Matt and Lisa. So um, I'm, I'm working with a couple uh, really cool couples. We're doing premarital counseling. One of the things that we, we talk about is this issue of debt, like what kind of debt are you bringing into, uh, into your marriage? And I'm not going to spill the beans on the debt that these folks are bringing into their marriage. But I, I'm reminded of Matt and Lisa. Matt and Lisa, who's this couple, they used to live in Georgia. But uh, two and a half years ago, so this is about two and a half years ago, um, they got engaged to get married. And part of their counseling, uh, they talked about their debt. Right? Lisa came in zero debt. 
but Matt had $50,000, okay, $50,000 in debt. That's crazy debt, right? A lot of debt. Some of it was uh, education, some of it was, was automobile, but he had uh, 50K in debt. So he's bringing that into his marriage, but he says, man, I don't want to saddle my marriage with this. So he says, I'm going to do my best right now to just work uh, and be as best as I can to honor God with my finances in order that uh, we can knock this out as soon as we can. He said, as I do this, I'm going to make the very difficult choice, even though I'm 50000 in debt, to start giving 10%. I've never done this before. I'm going to give 10%, the first tithe of my paycheck to God. He said, I believe that 90% with God is able to do far more than 100% without him, right? Something that we've, we've said here before. So he believed that to be true. And this backwards logic, he takes, takes a step of faith. He moves into a smaller place with a couple other dudes, so his expenses start going down. He starts working this job, I think at a restaurant, and he starts paying down his debt. So I think after six months, that $50,000 debt had gone down to $42,000, right? That's pretty huge. 8000 in six months. Then he drives cross-country trip. They didn't have money for a honeymoon because they're trying to honor God with their finances. So here's what they do. They take a cross-country trip from Georgia out to Northern California, which is going to be their new home. And they pack up all their stuff, and they drive out there, and they settle in in NorCal. Lisa gets a job. Matt starts working at a restaurant again as a server. And he just like so wants to honor the Lord that he finds joy in his work. Not just doing it for a paycheck. He's doing it to honor the Lord God because he knows what this is all about. He gets it. And so as he's serving people, man, people are loving Matt. He's getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And and the Lord is blessing him in his finances. All the while giving of his tithe. And he's he's involved in a small group. And at their small group, they're, they're just honest about their struggles, about finances, marriage, relationships, whatever, whatever. At the end of one meeting, one of his small group members pulls Matt aside and says, hey, man, I've been so blessed watching you journey in this way that I wanted to walk alongside of you. And he wrote him a check for $5,000. He gave it to him. And Matt's like, dude, I can't take this. I can't take this. This is, man, this is too much. And he's like, no, God's blessed us in this way. And so we just wanted to bless somebody else. We wanted to bless you because we see that your heart is in it. And so Matt is just, he's floored, $5,000. He goes home to Lisa. He's like, Lisa, Lisa, look what happened, man. Someone gave us $5,000 to pay down this debt. And Lisa just starts starts crying. She starts weeping. And she says, hey, you know what? Uh, Some time ago, I wrote this in my journal. I wrote, I'm so proud of my husband for the way he's really going at it to honor, not just to, to get rid of debt, but because he wants to honor God with his finances. And as she was writing all of these things down, she said, I felt God gave me a number that day. And it's not 5,000, it was actually 10,000. But, you know, maybe the number was off, but I just felt like God was saying, hey, he wants to walk with us. We're not alone in this journey. And they're hugging and they're crying and they're so happy. And in their joy, they go and they just tell another friend and they're telling them about all the things that God is doing. And that friend says, hey, you know what? Matt, Lisa, I want to write you guys a check for $5,000 in order that that 10000 would be proved to be true. And they're like, no, nah, dude, this is, hey, listen, we're almost there. This is my debt, not yours. And the dude said to him, no, no, Matt, your debt was nailed to the cross 
This is just money. It's just money. A good thing, a bad thing, but whenever we give it to God, it touches eternity. Anytime we give of our money in generosity and sacrifice for kingdom purposes, that becomes immortalized. And it has eternal dividends. And so two years after, right, two years after he made this commitment to begin tithing, to begin honoring God with his finances, that $50,000 debt was wiped out. 50000 in two years. And so they've got zero debt now. They say, finally, we can, we can get that car of our dreams. Fine. They didn't say that. The first check they wrote, they saw somebody else, a single dude, trying to honor God with his finances on the same journey that Matt and Lisa were on, and they wrote this big check to them. And he said, hey, we've been blessed by others along the way. God is taking care of us. He's meeting all of our needs. We want to let you know that this is a worthy investment for you to give yourself to. And with tears coming down his face, Matt gives that check to his buddy. The question is, is Matt's God the same God as your God and my God and Paul's God? Who says, my God, when you are faithful with what you have, will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's try. Let's pray. What a glorious promise. Man, it takes some faith. I'm not saying that you're going to be rich or healthy. No, 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 no. Not all of your wants, but everything that you need. And when you begin to honor God with your finances, like in ways that maybe we haven't before, we get on this roller coaster that's equal parts scary in equal parts exhilarating. But we know that we're not at the whims and the mercy of a roller coaster controller. We're at the loving, in the loving care of our Father who promised, hey, test me in this, try me. See if I don't pull through for you. Now, I had mapped out this series a long time ago. And I planned to preach on this text a long time before. But it comes at a time when, you know, we're doing well. Last year, harvest, we gave more than we've ever given before. It was a great year. And as we move forward, there's going to be more needs for us to build the kingdom. This Building Bridges project. Yeah, think about what does that look like for me? What does that look like? Maybe I can begin to step up the percentage of giving. Maybe you want to begin this 90-day journey, February, March, April. Maybe get to the end of April and see. You give your faithfulness and honor the Lord with your finances. Would not God come through on his promises? Maybe for you the response is, hey, I'm going to do this. I've heard about this, but I've done it a few times, but I've never really taken that plunge to make this a lifestyle. Man, we would, I don't want us to miss out on any of the promises of God. 
But if God really means this, then man, I don't want us to miss out on this one either. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to begin 10%. Maybe you already give 15%. Maybe your challenge is, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin 1% one, 1 more. I'm just going to give to somebody that needs the Lord or that somebody that needs it. Or I'm going to earmark a certain amount. Or maybe for some of us it's, yeah, I've got a lot of debt. And I've always said, I think I should deal with that first. But maybe God is saying, as you do that, hey, maybe you can, you can try. Let's take a step of faith and see. Let's see what the Lord would say. I don't know how you need to respond. But man, I want us to live in this promise like Paul does. He said, I'm so glad you gave, not for me, but for you. Because heaven has registered your gift. God sees what you give, even when your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Even when you give anonymously, God sees that. Let's get on this journey. Man, it's exciting. God's promise to those who are faithful what we already have, maybe a lot, maybe a little, is that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. Let's pray for a couple minutes. Prayer of commitment, of surrender, of devotion. I'll pray on our behalf and then we'll continue to respond. Let's, yeah, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord God together for a few moments. in heaven when we make it so simple <laughs> that God has entrusted us with something and sometimes we say that's not enough maybe because we're not being as faithful with it as you'd want us to be Lord help us to believe you and take you at your word I know this isn't the story for all of us some of us have looked at people in the world who are doing well and, and they're very generous and, and it, it seems like everything is going well. That happens. At the same time, many faithful, devoted people who don't know where their next meal will come from, like we understand that and it's not because they've been unfaithful. But Lord, we pray that you would help us where we are to be faithful to you really think hard about what you're calling us to do, who you're calling us to be, in order that in being faithful to you, we might receive from you a blessing so that all of our needs could be provided for, so that we could have many testimonies of your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you so much. We give because you've given first to us, and out of a grace received, we open up our hands and we say, Lord, here we are as we give to you. So now as we give our tithes, our offerings, may we give of ourselves and may we do so joyfully knowing that
joyful trust is what you ask for us as we give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all.